Okay, welcome for this evening here in, we're in the Canary Islands for this Q&A, so two hour Q&A space with Clinton, I will be holding the space. I wanna tell you just how we wanna set this space up. I've, Clinton and I have collected questions mostly out of the study group from Radiant Draw Brilliant Love that's been going on for a year. Question about this, this territories or territory of women, men and patriarchy. So I'll start I'll go ahead and start and, and ask a couple questions that we've collected. And after that, we invite you to search in yourself for your own pain and your own question and to bring them into this space. And we will follow your questions and your needs because that, that's really where the jewels are and where we can sort of dig in the dirt to find the gold. And to do this, I can see everybody on the screen right now. So if you just raise your hand and I'll, I'll write down your name and I'll, when sort of there's a pause when Clinton is talking, I'll just say, okay, would, you know, Patrizio ask your question or Monica ask your question. So I'll call you. And I, I wanna say from the start that I might not call in the order that, that you've raised your hand. And so I'll try to follow the space and the needs and, and trust my intuition to see who, who needs to speak next or what is, what, is wanted, what is wanted next in the space. Great, yeah. Before we start with the questions, I would like to take a moment to honor what we're doing here. <clears throat> I'd like us to acknowledge that we have come together in this particular space to investigate uncomfortable questions that are often not addressed, that are most often avoided. And we we're doing this without asking for anyone else's permission to do this. And I, it's a scary thing to do that in, in cultures where people who tr trespass over the edge of the culture tend to be whatever, punished in some way, whatever, ignored or ridiculed or something like that, you know, banned by Facebook or whatever. And so we're here under our own recognizance and we're navigating this space not according to some fanatical belief system, but more as a research journey that would help each of us in the work that we're doing with so many other people. You're doing so much wonderful work with so many other people, and I'm so grateful that you have the courage to join us in this mm, exciting and perilous quest to essentially find out what's really going on and, and what we can do about it if we choose to do something about it in our own personal lives and in the lives of the people that we work with. And I, I just would like us to honor that each of us in ourselves and in the space 
to, and uh, have that kind of respect for this space because it's it's truly a uh, a research space. Just to say, you know, I'm I am I am no authority on this subject. I am a sacrifice in this space. I'm I'm a possibilitator, and I I volunteered to put up my antennas to my archetypal lineage and my bright principles and Gaia and to, to go on this journey with you. And so I hope perhaps after today, you too will be inspired to continue this conversation with other people in the same kind of way. I really, I hope that it's contagious. Thank you. Thank you. I, I wanna, you. I wanna add to this that like Clinton say, these territories are, we, we hear on our own recognizance and they can be painful in a way that they would bring anger and sadness and fear, maybe some joy and also maybe some mixed feeling of embarrassment or guilt. And that this is really a space where this is, it's allowed. If you feel angry, just it's be angry, feel angry. Or if you really feel sad and grief and just, it is fine to let yourself fall apart in this space while we are journeying together. Any, does anybody need to say anything before we or start interrogating Clinton? Go ahead. I'd just like to say that mm, this could be the beginning of a longer conversation. So, uh, please do not feel abandoned afterwards if you have further questions or feelings come up for you or echoes of memories that you've forgotten or tried to forget come back. Don't, please don't feel abandoned. We have whole teams of people around the world, many of whom are here on the screen right now, actually, who would love to continue the conversation with you. And, and we're not going to try to fix you or anything like that, we're on this journey. So just don't feel abandoned. Thank you. Thank you. I'd love for the space to be held in a way that we're holding it together and that I can focus and I feel fear to say so, but Kimberly, you keep walking in and out of the space and doing other things and it's really distractive to me. Could you please be present or turn your camera off? Thank you. Okay, I want to start with one of the question that was sort of advertised or put as a, a doorway to this space. And it's about this question about the men wanting to consume in a relationship, the men having this orientation about wanting to take something or consume something from the woman. And in some ways, or in, in a lot of ways, women have to defend themselves against subtle moves to be consumed or um, something that will be take, taken away. There's this, this grabbing experience 
that we can have as women. And I would, I would want to hear what, so what is this? What is this about? And can, yeah, can you talk about this? Yeah, thank you. Just to first of all, want to say that the grabbing thing is so pervasive in modern culture, it goes all the way up to the presidency of the United States of America, for example, without ever having been forbidden. So it is a standard practice in modern culture. And I just want to put it right on the table. Modern culture is a capitalistic, patriarchal empire. It's been running for 6,000 years. And in that, that we call it, a, I call it a game world. In that culture structure, in the patriarchal structure, women are objects and women belong to the men and also the children. So this is a fundamental assumption in the patriarchal empire. And I would like to, I would, I, I don't, I would like to not try to hack on the, on the patriarchy as the, main, as the main focus of this conversation. It is so evident that the patriarchy has, as a cultural form, has reached its end. It has, it's over. And I'm, I'm, I'm far, particularly far more interested in the edge work of what does it take to escape the patriarchy? We have all been wounded, men and women and children have been wounded by the assumptions and the mechanical, almost zombie nature of somebody born and raised in the patriarchy. And each one of us here has worked hard to get to the edge enough to even have this conversation. And so, the grabbiness, the possessiveness, the, that the mask, the uninitiated, adolescent, even childish, uh, obsessive, me, me, me behavior of, of the masculine born and raised in a patriarchy, it is exactly as you've described it. And so, I mean, each of us, men and women, and any kind of sex you want to call yourself, are are in the same circumstances of having to make a fundamental decision. Are we going to stay? Am I going to stay in the patriarchy or and, and fight it or, or be a victim of it or complain about it? Or am I going to invent next culture and step into it? Am I going to create the next culture after patriarchy, which is emerging even as we speak right now, and will I create it and inhabit it? And I, this is a, a fundamental decision each one of us has to make. And I have to assume, or I would like to assume in this conversation that most of you have decided choice B, which is escape the patriarchy, which is build bridges from the edge into archiarchy. So archiarchy is this culture that naturally emerges after matriarchy and patriarchy have run their course. And so I just define archiarchy as this, as a, as a, as this space, the totally possible, as possible as any other space in which the context in which 
the archetypally initiated adult woman creative collaborates with archetypally initiated adult men. It has never happened on earth before, I don't think. I've researched Atlantis and the Minoans and ancient cultures. As far as I can tell, they all had slaves. They all had, it was all patriarchy at, at the least. So I think this culture has not ever in, existed on earth before. You are the first inhabitants and, and uh, the, the possessiveness of, a, of the uninitiated masculine, the gropiness, the grabbiness, the invasion, you, I own you, you belong to me, you do what I want, and then you don't do what I don't want, is an, a, a basic fundamental characteristic of the patriarchy. And yes, uh, every one of us needs to learn to defend ourselves against that. And the easiest way I know of is to invent your, the culture that you would love to live in, hold a bubble of that culture and never leave it and pay as much respect to the culture that you inhabit as you do standing in amazement across from a patriarchy person and an amazement as to why they would ever want to ever live in that culture. And when, when this starts an interesting conversation where you respect your culture as much as you bow down to or pay re polite respect to people inhabiting a Japanese culture or an Indonesian culture or any other kind of culture that you might care to visit. But it, just because you're in Indonesia does not mean you're Indonesian. It doesn't mean that. It means you, you notice what's different, what's the same, you notice reasons, you notice what's going on in the culture and you, you let it feed you. And if you don't find anything feeding you in the patriarchy, what are you doing there? What are you doing there at all? So they, it just, you know, you just asked me a question that brings up a lot more questions. I think that's appropriate. Yeah, in terms, I would, I would have a lot of questions about what you said, and it's, and it's this. Well, how does this happen? Because in a way, each and every one of us were born in patriarchy, and there's a part of us that feels at ease, that feels comfortable in whatever role that we were given either as men or as women or as children or as slave or as master. And there's a part of, oh, this is where I can take a break. You know, I can relax from paying attention, being on guard, protect myself, defend myself. Why don't I just, I can, going back is, has this easefulness. And mm -hmm. so how, what about that? How, so yeah, <clears throat> I just wrote, Spark 220. Sparks are specific practical applications of radical knowledge. It's online for free. You can get it at sparkexperiments.org. And the spark is about knowing the comfort of knowing what to do next. It's about this comfort of going, oh, okay, I know what to do next. And the spark says the only time you know what to do next is when you are being adaptive. Because then you have an external authority figure telling you what they expect of you to do next. Mm. And if you behave that way, if you conform to this expectation from external authority, you are, you are safe. You are also, quote unquote, <clears throat> not responsible. 
because the responsibility goes to the one who gives you the orders of what to do next or has the expectation of what to do next. I mean, <clears throat> excuse me, I just, there's this consideration of, of somebody having more mm, options or more possibilities than somebody else. It's called, um, what's it called? Habet knows. What is it called? Privilege. Privilege. There's this question of, thank you, Habet. We've talked about this before. This question of privilege. And it is a hot topic these days. And, it, and the, the what I want to put on the table is we are human beings. And we're designed by Gaia with this incredible kind of intelligence that allows us to be jacked into a function of radical responsibility. So that means that any hierarchy that we're playing in, we built it. We're only playing in a hierarchy that we made ourselves. We put ourselves in that hierarchy. And so the hierarchy of you have more privilege than me, or you're higher up in the hierarchy, or you're a patriarch and I am a slave in the patriarchy, this kind of hierarchy is played out to serve shadow principles. And shadow principles are these tasty, wonderful food for the, the we call the gremlin part of yourself, the part of yourself that derives pleasure from other people's pain. It's the part of ourselves that loves to play I win, you lose games. And if you look around the planet as sports, for example, you will see that it's the most popular game on the planet. I win, you lose, ha ha. And it makes one winner and very many losers. And it's a, it's a gremlin game. And it's also the economic game. I have more money than you do, ha ha. I own more buildings than you do, ha ha. So the largely the patriarchal empires is populated and, and run by the, the parts of people unconsciously trying to avoid responsibility, the universe is not designed that way. We live in a universe that is radically responsible. So, you know, I, if, I put, if I put my cup down, my down on the table, it's going to stay there until me or somebody else or an earthquake moves it somewhere else. It does not move all by itself. So this is, this is true for every gesture, every non-gesture, every thought, every feeling, everywhere you put your attention has consequences and you're radically responsible for all of it. They did not teach us about this in modern school. The, you know, the modern school system, it does not teach us how to upgrade the thought where in the patriarchy. It does not teach us how to build Gaian game worlds that nurture and serve the radically complex and interconnected ecosystems on planet Earth so we have a stable ecology. It does not teach us how to do that. So, it, so that's up to us to learn. And so it's really, there's a lot on our plate when we get to the edge of the culture and realize, okay, I have had you know, the wool pulled over my eyes. I've been brought up in, a, in many delusions or layers of delusions. And it's painful, disillusionment is painful. Well, that blocks most people immediately. And that's why I have had to learn how to feel. I'm telling you, when I was 39 years old, I was a physicist. I owned my own company. 
I was building polymerase chain reaction machines, PCR, the thing they use for the COVID tests these days. I was building those back in the 1980s as cutting edge technology. I would have been a billionaire by now if I would have stayed in the business. So what I'm saying is I went to my first healing and transformation space with a pen in my pocket and the question in my mind, what am I really doing here? I already know everything. I have a car. I have my own business. I own my own house. I have a wife. I have two children. Everything is fine. My world started to crack then, and it was very painful. And I did not even know what a feeling was. I did not know what fear was. I did not know what sadness was. And my anger, when it came out, was unconscious. And it came out sideways, and it hurt people reactively. I had to learn to feel, and it was not a pleasant experience. I thought I knew everything. My world collapsed. This was back in the, in the late 80s and early 90s when this happened to me. Clinton, and so, yeah. So can you talk about your own journey as a man being faced with that there's things that you don't know that you don't know about and your own journey that allowed you to write a book such as Radiant Your Brilliant Love and what have, what have you learned? How have you learned how to be something else than this grabby, take consumer, uninitiated men to, you know, to some degree or to a large degree. And like some, I'm sort of asking for really kind of practical, like the, the practical side of it. Like what, what needs to happen or what happened to you or what have you learned on this path? Well, this path has saved my life more than once, literally. And my father <clears throat> was a good man, a good quote unquote father. And he was adaptive to the patriarchy, worked his whole life in a job. And when he, had, when he was forced to retire, he died soon after that because he had no idea who he was or what he wanted to do. When I was, five years old, they put me in school. And I, I did not know what school was at the time. I didn't, I was the older of three boys in my, I was not prepared for school. It was just one day they dropped me off at school. And I had the fantasy that somebody could see me or meet me or that I would have company there. Because before then I've pretty much lived in my own fantasy world with my toys and nature and lizards and butterflies. And I was outside in California, Southern California, and it was just wonderful. And then I went to school where I was inside and nobody saw me, nobody met me. And this just put me into a kind of shock that I did not realize really until I was at college. And I, I, the shock was there's nobody here to talk to. All my, the questions that I asked, I learned not to ask questions. So I think each of you has had a journey, something like this. <clears throat> I, I ended up um, going to college and then marrying my mother in a way. <clears throat> it was like, uh, I, I, I hope 
I hope, what I really hope is that you do not have to go through what I had to go through to write Building Love That Lasts, this book, Radiant Joy, Brilliant Love, because it's a 25 year research project. I was married for 25 years and I learned what doesn't work. I learned to finally stand up, get my balls back, use my sword of clarity and say, this is over. And it took me 25 years. And the journey is, like I said, starts with where's my center? Where is my center? Am I giving my center away, my authority away? Where's, where are my feelings? What am I feeling? What am I really up to? What are they really up to? Who's holding this space? What's the purpose of this space? What, how do we talk together? What is a completion loop? Which ego state am I in? Is it parent, adult, child, gremlin, or demon? Which ego state am I in? What else is possible? Because if this is all there is, it's not very interesting for me. And that's when I discovered after probably late in the 90s, early in the 2010s, I started to discover that in the adult ego state, when I am a, in a small now, I don't know if this is helpful, when I have a small now and I'm right here in present, I get access to a whole different universe that nobody ever told me about except Wonder Woman, you know, or mm, Doctor Strange, or some of these characters who occupy and inhabit archetypal worlds that this universe is designed it's designed for us to go through the adult ego state into the archetypal domains and have intimacy journeys with each other that are that are five body intimacy journeys that are just completely ecstatically, inexplicably, hey, when it's over, I want to do the next one. It's, it's like that. So this was learned essentially by accident. It was learned by doing what we're doing right now and trying to answer questions that are impossible to answer and being committed, committed to the answer before we know how. It doesn't come from a, a source. I don't know if that was helpful at all, but it's something like that. Well, there's a, there's a following question coming from Sofia Magdalena and Vera. I'll just say it because they wrote it in the, in the chat. And it's about this, what happened after you started to feel mm -hmm. and how did that shift your life? I, I guess also in regards to relationship and in regards to keep exiting the patriarchy and yes. Well, one of the first things it did was <clears throat> it allowed me to face my parents as ancestors. They were no longer a problem for me to fix, somebody to try to improve their understanding of me. I, they, they, they got put behind me. And this cleared the playing field. And so many people have not done that. So many people are really, even, even Hollywood movies, you know, Brad Pitt is out in space and who shows up there? His dad, you know, or, or <clears throat> what's his name on Mars? The, you know, it's, it's all about mom and dad, you know, or even, even uh, um, what's your favorite movie on Chloe, this one? Interstellar. Yeah, I just tell her she's dealing with her dad. I mean, the whole okay, all right, all right. I want to see the movies where dad's back there and mom's back there 
And what's in front is a clean playing field where we get to co-invent and collaborate together. Well, we just have to start our own movie company, I think. You know, I was just talking yesterday to a, a movie director in Los Angeles, the lady Betsy Chassie created, What the Bleak Do We Know? And, and we were talking about a movie. So it takes 500,000. Anybody feels like they wanna get in the project, let us know. But it's, it, you know, it's time for us to, to build out the next story. So, so that's one thing it did is it put mom and dad behind me and then there was a clean playing field. And then there's this, I spent years <clears throat> going around trying to find clarity about, and I had this huge collection. I was kind of addicted to distinctions and I had this huge collection of, you know, if you do that, this happens, you know, there's four brains, there's four feelings, there's five bodies. There's all these distinctions are hugely powerful. But one day I was on a journey into the mountain in Austria <clears throat> and I was, excuse me, <clears throat> I was facing into a, a conversation with a wizard in the mountain. And, and I said, what I need to learn about, I'll, I'll take one step back. I was in a bookstore in Japan. I found this book that said, all this clarity in it. I go, this is a fantastic book. I opened the book, you know, one of these magical essential procedures you have to know if you're a wizard. You open the book and you read the first thing and it's a message for you. So I open this book and I read the first thing and it says, why are you looking for more clarity when you're not using the clarity you already have? And I just shut the book, put it back on the shelf, walked out of the bookstore and I started and I, I learned about these four enemies. There's these four enemies. There's a great website called Four Enemies we wrote about this progression of the path that we go on. And it's so incredible how the first enemy is fear. The fear of going to the edge, of talking about what we don't know about, of taking risks. And so the, the thing that solves the problem of the fear is clarity that fear is one of the four feelings. And it's either a feeling or an emotion and it has intelligence and energy. And you can, it your life can thrive when you, when you make your fear conscious. When the fear comes and you, you can feel this fear and you go, hello, fear. Welcome fear. What do you have for me? And fear goes, God, he's listening to me. And he tells you, watch out for this. Don't do this. This is too long. This is too short. That's too much. That's not enough. And you go, thank you, fear. And then the communication is complete and it goes away. And then you have this clarity that fear is one of the four feelings puts you in a whole new world. And then that's where I was. I was collecting all this clarity. And I got to that point where the, the, you know, the wizard in the mountain says, it's time for you to learn about power because power, because if you can't do anything with your clarity, what good is the clarity? All the knowledge in the world is not gonna help you if you cannot implement it to invent next culture, to invent new spaces and walk in together with your partner, with your family, with your business. If you cannot invent and hold a new space, you will be stuck in the old space. So this is about power. So then I started to learn about power. And so these enemies, along the path, each one turns out to be the solution at first and then the enemy next. And so actually the enemy of power is old age. So that's why I decided to stop having any more than 
53 birthdays. So every birthday I have, it's my 53rd birthday. And I won't tell you how many of those I've had so far, but I encourage you to try that because it actually, it feels great, it seems to work. So keep, what's the next? <laughs> yeah, there's a question from Joanna. Wait, 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 so was it a good, did it, was it work, did it work for Vera and Sophie Magdalena? Okay, all right, thanks. I mean, in a way, I think these question, if I ask you the question again, what did learning how to feel change for you, you would have a different answer and it would go somewhere else. Yes. And, uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm interested to, anyway, to follow Joanna's question and the impulses that are, that are in the space. Thank you. And, yeah, so Joanna's question is, why does women always look for men's approval? look like attention, praise, and, and so much, have so much expectations. So are women knowing more about intimacy than men and are frustrated not getting the intimacy they want and then manipulate men to get that intimacy? How's that working for you? <laughs> what, so what else is possible in women-men relationship, which I guess is this whole conversation, what else is possible? <clears throat> We've, women started asking these questions in this 1960s, I think. And so women are about 40 or 50 years ahead of men in terms of the evolution of consciousness about what's possible. I'm very, I'm very happy there are these courageous men in here today. And so thank you for being here. And this, there's this, so women, you should write down these guys' names, get their contact information, see if you can have a conversation with them after this, because these are a rare set of guys, I'm telling you. And <laughs> I, I can see Eric's not available. All right. <laughs> um, so, so, okay, what? What do you do? It, it does not work for a woman to try to manipulate a man to into the present moment where he is so scared to be and then try to have some kind of intimacy with a man in that moment. It, it's, it's like trying to, trying to get a dog to not poop in the house. You know, you can spend years till your dog is housebroken and then all you get is a dog that cannot that does not poop in the house that's all you get so it's there is so much possible in terms of intimacy there is and and i skimmed over it i went through it like the description was really quick i think it is not the case i do not think it's based on my own experience. I do not think that women, the feminine, naturally knows more or desires more intimacy than masculine. I do not think that is true. I think women are just, we're born in the patriarchy as the slaves. So who has power in the patriarchy? Like who has power is this question. And if you play the game, I recommend it. You, you spend an entire day with someone where you're the master and they're the slave. So you have to tell them what to do, make sure they're fed, make sure they're clean, make sure they sleep well at night. You take care of your slave. 
And then the next day you change roles and you start to discover how much the slave owns the master. So in a way, there's this reversal of what we usually think. So I don't, it is not the case that women have more longing for intimacy. It's the case that women escape the patriarchy a little easier than the men. And here's why. A boy, ba a baby boy, when we're born, even possibly while we're still in the mother's belly, we are faced with an ultimate and radical decision, join the patriarchy or die. Join the patriarchy or there is no place for you here. Join the patriarchy or you will not connect with your father. And then where will you be? So this is a choice that a boy needs to, to do. And we've discovered recently how if, if you reflexively choose to join the patriarchy, you drop your mission in life. You drop your connection to your archetypal lineage. You drop your bright principles. You drop your vision. You drop everything to be small enough to go through this eye of a needle into the patriarchy. And you go in there powerless and naked and you learn how to be a patriarch. And all of the things that you came here in the world to create and build and do and change and evolve and invent is behind you on the other side of the needle. And, and so, and if you ever want to get out of the patriarchy, it's, uh, it's the same challenge in reverse. That, and this, this, this is also true for, for women, that all the gifts that you are given by the patriarchy, like if you have a, if you've captured some, some guy who has, a Mercedes Benz and a position in the patriarchy and has connections in New York and Paris and Tokyo, you know, and you has a yacht, whatever, if you captured one of those things and you, you have benefits, you know, you have the security, quote unquote, which is a, a delusion. You have money, which is also another delusion. You have position, which is another delusion. So you have all these rewards from being in the patriarchy. If you want authenticity, if you want intimacy, if you want to connect with another human being in, in ways that nurtures you, that is not shown, it's not advertised in the magazines, it will cost you everything. Every single one of those benefits that you've earned in the patriarchy gets sacrificed so that you're small enough to go back through the eye of the needle and pick up pick up your true mission in life, to reconnect with who, who you came here to be, what you came here to create, what you came here to serve. And so how many, how many people are willing to do that? How many people are willing to give up your insurance, your, your, your retirement benefit plan, your dental plan, your, you know, your, your six bedroom house and three car garage? You know, how many people are willing to, to put that aside because they're after something more real than that. You know, most people in the patriarchy goes, what's more real than, you know, four zeros on a check? What's more real than uh, my, uh, my holiday in Tahiti? What's more real than that? And so there are answers to that question, but it's very personal. You get to choose 
you get to choose that. And so it, the women, so, so I, pro I propose a different approach. I propose a different approach than trying to take some guy who's not addicted to tobacco and not addicted to marijuana and not addicted to alcohol and not addicted to pornography and not addicted to uh, gambling. And that includes uh, any kind of uh, uh, trading, you know, trying to do these trades and all this kind of stuff. This is all adrenaline rush stuff. You try to find somebody who's not addicted to all that stuff. And then you try to convince them to be intimate with you. It's, we have to start way before that. It's, it really needs a start over program. And so the only, the thing that I think works best is to go do what you really want to do. Go do what you really want to do. And if what you want to do is authentic adulthood initiatory processes, if you want to you know, get your power back, get your center back, show up as a, I don't care what words you use, you know, in terms of a, of a, of a female perspective, it can be witch, goddess, queen, uh, alchemist, uh, healer, midwife, mm, like teacher type thing, like gateway, a gateway. If you want to actually become a gateway, then go, go do that. And I think there are forces at work bigger than we might I'd expect after my second divorce, I essentially gave up. Here, here's the guy who write, writes a book about love and intimacy and, and gets a divorce for the second time. Okay, well, what's this about? Well, it's about, <clears throat> it's about hitting, it's about entering reality. It's about hitting bottom. It's about letting go of those final vestiges of the patriarchy and just essentially going, okay, okay, what am, what am I here for really? And, you know, I spent a year sleeping in a rented car in, you know, different places, just kind of going around by accident. And, and then these forces come into play. There's these forces that you start discovering these big forces at work when you are actually doing what you want. So if you do not want to do anything, then don't do anything. If you want to do something, then do it, even if it's insane, even if it, if it makes no sense to anybody. You know, don't get arrested. It's not worth getting arrested very often. I've been arrested a couple of times. It's just not a great game world to play in. So really do, do the things that you want to do that are not feeding your gremlin. Feed the other parts of yourself. Feed the archetypal parts of yourself. And you will end up in the field of the earth coincidence control office you know the one that if you think back if you look back at all the relationships you ever had was it somebody who said ah there she is there he is okay that's the one you know and then you and then it all works out i don't think so almost everybody i talk to you know the way you find your next partner is by complete accident it's by this amazing set of weird coincidences that put you together in a in an impossible to have imagined way. And then, then something happens. So these forces, these archetypal forces, you know, this field effect is at work on us. And so you can, when you are actually being yourself, doing what you came here to do, then you will end up, you will, you will reach 
people, a part, you know, and John, in, in this case, you will find somebody who, who goes, God, where have you been? I've been, I've been looking for you the whole time. And you'll say the same thing. And it will be like, it is not like the movies. It isn't like they lived happily ever after. It will not be like that. But neither will it be this survival war game of trying to crush, you know, crush this man's ego down till he's soft enough that he can actually give up trying to be somebody and actually can be with you. So you actually get to participate in a bigger, bigger forces of work, bigger forces that are at work in our lives. So, and so, so, you know, I, Johanna, I look at behind you. I don't know if this is a rented place or if it's your place or where you are or whatever. I don't know if that's your stuff. What are you doing with all this stuff? You know what I mean? Everybody has this condition. Modern world is materialistic. What are you doing with all this stuff? Pick up every single object that you own and ask it. Is it are you giving me energy? Or are you taking energy away from me? Is you giving me food? Or are you taking my attention away? And if it's taking energy away, just, gosh, just give it away. Just get, you know, give it to its, you know, abandon it. And you might find yourself with all that energy back. Well, there's a reason that you have disempowered yourself. This is really important. In this, in our lives, there is, there are reasons why we disempower ourselves. So as children, we make up this survival strategy that lets us go through school and go through our parents and go through this whole, you know, survive in modern culture. But to do that, we have to cut off our voice, cut off our center, cut off our feelings, cut off our heart, cut off our destiny, cut off our archetypal lineage, and we have to disempower ourselves. So that's how you survive. Well, you survived already. Good. The next, the rest of your life is about living. It's about unfolding those hidden potentials, and it probably does not, uh, your potentials don't come out probably by mowing the lawn or cleaning the pool or taking your dog on a walk or meeting with the neighborhood um, society organization to figure out ways to pay less taxes. Whatever, you know, it's probably not that way. And so this this personal journey of facing into what you own and going, okay, and if you, if you get rid of stuff, you will get energy back. What will you do with that energy? You know, it could, you could at first make you go, it just makes me angrier. It makes me more sad that I'm alone. It makes, okay, okay, yay. Yay that you feel angrier. Yay that you feel more sad and scared. Because then you haven't, this is intelligent energy that you can use to make new actions in your life. You can take risks. You can abandon the life path that you're on and go somewhere you never thought of before. You can allow yourself to be moved. And this is, this is authentic. I mean, this is the archetypal journey. This is the path that you're on as a human being. And we still have a chance to do that. And it is so fun. It is we have to invent new new words for kinds of ecstasy that happen in high level fun. That uh, we just start starting to invent new words for, for ecstasy because English has no words besides fun or cool. That's it. There's there's we have a 15 or so new words for different kinds of ecstasy like swashing or things like this. Is 
this different kinds of ecstasy that are available in the archetypal domains, being with other people, working together, creating stuff, collaborating. So, so Johanna, it's not hopeless. It is not hopeless. It's just a different way than going against. Here's a guy, I'm going to make you wanting to be vulnerable and compassionate and being vulnerable with me. I want, I'm going to force you to, it's not like that. It's kind of like, uh, I did this before. Okay, uh, see you later. Ooh. You go in a different direction. You don't have to wait more than probably 15 minutes before you realize what kind of situation you're in. I mean, my shortest relationship was I was 100% committed to this woman was five minutes. I committed to this woman 100% and within five minutes, it was over. So it had nothing to do with sex or anything. It was just someplace else, go someplace. It was someplace else. She left me actually. I think it was a bad decision, but in any case. <laughs> I, anyway. Yeah. So I have regarding these, these questions and, and I found in myself, but also in a lot of women that I've worked with and met that often when I, and it was also the case for me, but I wanna meet women who are just discovering this edge and being on this edge and being on this journey, women have learned to vanish, to be so adaptive that they're, they don't know where they are. There's no foundation of this is what I want, this is what I don't want, this is a boundary, this like this, and it, because of the, the level of adaptiveness, so there's this, but then later on, when there's this work with the anger about anger is like, every time I make a boundary, then it's my space. Then I can find myself and everybody else is over there. And then what I also found is this, we have this deep anger that it can also be this deep revenge, this really deep revenge against men and that and that would be a block to any kind of re relationship, extraordinary or, or archetypal relationship. And, and, and a, I don't know if so, sometimes this, this use of anger can be con confused with this really deep revenge and need to, to kill the men for what has happened to the feminine or to the woman. Any hints about that? I'd like to go a level beneath that about what is the source of the anger so one source for example it's it has to do with i use this word thoughtware which is what it's what we use to think with thoughtware is what we're using to think with and the thing is we get our thoughtware before we go to school most of it because they would not let us in school unless we already know how to think which means we got our thoughtware unconsciously from our parents. We just soaked it in. And because that's how come baby born in as an Eskimo or a baby born in New York or whatever can adapt to the situation because we just have this capacity to take on thoughtware from our environment when we're really small like that. So there's a there's much thoughtware that is uninspected. And and especially if the people around us seem to have the same thoughtware that we do it's really difficult to pull it out from the background and go look at this thing. 
So for example, one thing that you can pull out and look at is this story about the white knight riding up on this horse in shining armor, you know, lifting us up and riding off into the sunset to live happily ever after our, our soulmate, right? Uh, the one person that we're, we're supposed to be monogamous with for the rest of our lives. This, this thing is, you can track that piece of thought we're back to the Christian church, actually. You can track it back to uh, when in 6,000 years ago, when they first started putting in land boundaries about who owns what piece of land, what a fantasy world that is. You have a piece of paper and then you can own a piece of land and it's handed down from generation to generation, but you need, you need, a, uh, you need a signature. You need to know who owns the land. And so that's where people would get married and stay together because it's easier to keep track of who owns the land. And so this kind of, if you track back the thought where there's a whole nother capacity that human beings have, and I keep learning more and more about it. And also from you and Chloe, and you said you learned about it from your mother, which, which has to do with our hearts and love. Like we have this capacity to love more than one person. And it's so not permitted in the monogamous construct. It is completely forbidden in a monogamous construct to love anybody but your partner. And I'm not talking sex. I'm talking love, love happening. And so <clears throat> what that means is, is when we're in the world and we're working with people, why would you work with somebody that you don't love? Why would you even have a client that you don't love? Why would you have a neighbor that you don't love? And so what happens is, is, is as I learned it from Anne Chloe, is that when I meet other people, my heart has the capacity to grow and to love another person, also another person, also another person. And it doesn't, it doesn't mean anything, but it is an experience. It is a, it is a direct experience that you can love your heart can expand and love more people. And so I, I think you have known that, and you, but you've tried to deny it to match your thought where this cannot be. This is, I don't know, there's all these words for it. It's a blasphemous. It's, it, they have legal terms for it. So, so, okay, okay. What if you actually learn to, to love people love more people than one person, all of a sudden it replaces the thought where of you're looking for the one true couple person. This is the one I'm going to put on my Facebook page, my website. Here I am. I found my partner. I'm a winner. I'm a hero. And all of a sudden you're so far outside of reality that you, you, you have to do live in a fantasy world to defend your construct or your fantasy world. This is not very helpful. So, so the, the possibility is to really stay close to home, stay close to what's real and discover it and, and have it replace the thought where. So is you guys getting this? This is amazing stuff. I hope, I hope it's coming across some now. Because, yeah, it just starts. Can you say something about it, Chloe? Keep going. <laughs> so, yeah, so I'm... 
So nobody can take your thought wear away from you. Nobody can undo the ways that you have been thinking. It's up to your own self-observation to notice the interference of a construct. I remember the moment I was alone. I was in a house in on Mallorca where there was a large dog, bigger, bigger than me, scared the shit out of me. And I would hide out in my room and I was in this conversation and I remember the moment and it was a back and forth messaged conversation where I was invited to consider if the construct of monogamy that I had lived in for 25 years and in which I wrote the Radiant Joy Brilliant Love book, if I was willing to consider that it was not all there is. And I said, yeah, okay, yeah, sure. It's not all there is, okay. So then does that construct serve in your life as a prison? Wow, that's a big thing. I'm living inside of a prison. Okay, all right, let's go with it. The next question was, does the prison have a door? Shit. Yeah, prison has a door. Next question, where's the key to the door of your prison? It was inside the prison. It was in the door. The key sitting right there. In, it's been there the whole time. I locked myself in that prison the day I got married. I was not monogamous before I got married. I bought into this construct, shut the door, locked it on the day I was married. And I was in there for 25 years, more, more than 25 years. And so then I was like, what's on the other side of the door? So I got up enough courage to turn the key, open the door and look outside. I did not die immediately. And then I left the door open for a while, but I stayed inside. And then I took one, two steps outside, left the door open and, and, I'm, and stood there. I'm still there. I am standing right there. The, right behind me is this door for monogamy. You know, I could go back in, lock the door anytime I want. I have the freedom to choose that just like everybody. You can lock yourself in any kind of construct you want, any religion, any financial construct, any political construct. We have the power to lock ourselves in belief system constructs and, and, and pretend like there's no key, pretend like it's the one true way. But I didn't, so I stayed outside. I'm still there. I look over there, I see all this, uh, you know, multiple sexuality, free love. Uh, what are those words? There's all these polyamorous, polyamorous, all this poly stuff, all these things, each one being another construct, another prison. Why would I want to leave one prison and walk in another prison? Who am I with no prison? Who are you with no prison? Who are you outside of the prison? And I encourage you to check that out, to see if you have to have a prison around you to be, to be you, something like that. Tara, you had your hand up, go ahead. Yeah, thank you. Um, I wanted to share that I, that I feel like this whole monogamy, poly, like this whole world of these constructs, it's a gremlin food. Gremlins love that stuff to have these constructs and to 
like go out there and pretend and and have yeah I, it's a lot of gremlin fun i think and it is not that what people are looking for outside monogamy is is used by gremlins a lot that's what i'm trying to say yeah thank you thank you and chloe i would be interested to see if other people have these some questions that are up right now if anybody wants to mm -hmm. have we still have a half hour and i'd love to go those places we still have an hour and yeah so Lar i had a question from mark and but i would go ahead with lars as you have your hand up just thank you um what i've been researching and experiencing the last month especially is the um, the importance of the dark and the light forces in both men and women and um, the ability to have room and space to experience both the dark and the light equally and anchor this experience in the light. Um, and I wonder if this also for you in your understanding is part of our hierarchy or would you regard the dark forces more as, for example, there is this um, like Kali as an ex expression or imagination of the dark feminine there are other, um, yeah, other ways to maybe ex um, express the dark masculine. And for me, also the, um, the, the possibility to take is part of that, for me, an, an important part of the dark masculine that can be important to have space for. So what are your perspectives on this? Um, yeah, it's like in the middle of my research, I have no conclusion with two lines underneath, but um, for me, this um, feels important at this time. Well, thank you. I mean, what I would suggest in your research is to keep checking the purpose of, of, what, of what's behind, for example, the taking. So to take space enough to ask this question, for example, is a, it's, it breaks a lot of of polite rules or being good rules or to ask about the dark side breaks customs or scary, you know, it freaks people out. So this kind of taking makes, uh, it serves people. It serves this space, it serves the research that we're doing on this journey. And so, and there's, there's plenty of other kinds of taking that have a totally different purpose. And so it's, it's essentially, the being coming aware of the purposes that are at work in each in each gesture and and we have a we have a a whole conversation called the map of possibility which puts the shadow principles of taking and winning and being right and making other people wrong and getting revenge and being superior and all of these kinds of shadow principles that are ways to avoid responsibility to make make them conscious because if if you try to make if you try to pretend like the dark side the shadow side is not as real as the bright side it's like it's 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 you end up with priests who sexually abuse boys 
in their churches for years in the name of their institution. You know, and, and it's still going on, regardless of how many people we think have, have been embarrassed by that or what the policy of the church is these days. It's like Tara said, it is, it is total uh, shadow world gremlin going on because we are the good, they are the wrong, we go to heaven, they go to hell. This whole trying to make the shadow unconscious is, is it has consequences that are just horrific. And just think of America in terms of, you know, we're the fighting for democracy in the world. It is, it is a fantasy world that's easy for the mind to believe and very far away from reality. And so the thing about, you know, there's people doing, trying to find intimacy using by tying each other up with ropes and beating each other with whips and, you know, doing kind of whatever this shadow side, a part of I own you or possession or rejection or punishment or these kinds of intense experiences with each other as a, as a way of exploring. Well, you know, there's nothing about the map of possibility or bright side, shadow side that includes good and bad, not right and wrong. This is a different kind of conversation. It is not a belief system of right and wrong and good and bad. That in fact is a shadow principle and ends up with war. I'm right, you're wrong, we kill you, it's war. So the, this is a predominant thought we're on the planet. I, I encourage, I mean, it's about consciousness. It's about making your shadow side conscious, you cannot do that alone. You cannot face your shadow side alone because we are so easy, we're so gullible. We're so easy to fool ourselves and it requires a team. And so all the work that we do is with teams, circles, starting with three and growing from there. And so I encourage, I don't know if you're doing this, but I encourage you really to get in a possibility team, a three cell, start a team and get yourself going on this journey so others can benefit and you can benefit from other people's perception of what, what you might be, where you might be fooling yourself about this. Does that help at all, what you're talking about? Great, yeah, thank you. Yeah, go ahead, uh, Jonas or Jonas. Yeah, thank you. Um, okay, I'd like to, share i feel a bit nervous now but i'd like to share one of my experience during the last years i'm single and yeah i do quite a lot of dating and online dating but i also just approach women on the street and talk to them and get to know them and so on but i notice my that i do something which produces sort of pain for me uh, it's like I, I think I quite quickly sort women into attractive or not attractive just by looking at them from the outside and then with it once that I put into the attractive category I give my center away to them quite quickly and I feel inferior to them and they lose their interest in me pretty quickly. And the ones that I sort as 
maybe not as not attractive, but not such attractive. Um, I lose my interest in them very quickly. Yeah, and, and I noticed that it, um, it rarely happens that I meet a, a women that I really have the experience that it's, it's an eye level uh, contact. And I'm, I'm very new to uh, possibility management and I, uh, I'm just reading into uh, the book, uh, The Brilliant Joy, Brilliant Love. And yeah, but I'd, I'd be glad to hear your opinion on that. And uh, what, I mean, I'm, I'm practicing uh, becoming centered now. That is my, the first step I was taking now, yeah. Thank you very much for that question. <clears throat> it's an earnest question. And it's a, in a way, it's a desperate question because it's based on a lot of experience. Yeah. And one of the ways out of that is a strange question called, which I? While you were speaking, there were at least three, possibly four or five different eyes talking to us. Okay. And, and so each one is an identity and we shift from one identity to another so quickly when it's unconscious that we don't know which eye is talking. So the one eye that's assessing whether a woman is attractive or not is a completely different eye from the one who's practicing being centered. Is a so is there, these are completely different eyes. And so if you really truly want uh, some other result, you know, where you're headed for is being a cynical, lonely old man going down the street and watching porn when you get home and masturbating. You know, that's where you're headed for. And there's nothing uh, wrong with that. Yeah, yeah. There's, no, there's nothing wrong with that. But I don't know if you could feel it but from you, while you were speaking, there was a lot of hatred coming towards you just from the, the wonderful people on this call. They, a lot of people had to already protect themselves from you just in this call. And you caused that to happen because of where you were coming from. It's not good or bad. It's not right or wrong. But you excluded yourself from the company of any of these women immediately and and it's not and and you don't know how you're doing that mm -hmm. so it would be if you would like to learn how you're doing that it would involve getting on a path beginning a path of evolution an actual authentic path of evolution because you're functioning there's a large part of your system functioning on thought we're given to you unconsciously by the patriarchy by your father, by the magazines, by the movies, by, by this, this uh, uninitiated adolescent uh, programming or thoughtware that comes out of the culture, you're using a lot of it. And it's very expensive thoughtware to use. It's, it'll, cost you, it'll cost you intimacy. It will cost you joy. It will cost you pleasure. It will cost you love. It costs you a lot, aliveness costs you a lot. So I'm so glad that you could put this on the table so clearly. You were very clear. 
So that takes work to be so clear about your situation. It was succinct. It was precise. It was elegantly said and very painful. And so, so part of part of what you part of what will help you on this path of evolution is learning to consciously feel, yeah. learning to okay, and distinguishing between which I is talking. So certain one wants one thing, a certain one wants another thing, another one wants another thing, you know, just to forget the whole thing and, you know, go, go sleep or go drink beer or go whatever. So there's this different identities and the path of evolution will bring that to your attention in a not pain-free way. It will be painful. And when you learn to feel sad consciously, it's great. It's great to feel sad. It has so much value. When you feel angry consciously, it is so great because then you can use it consciously. When you feel afraid, like these things are ex essential experiences in the human form and they're so useful and we're not taught at all about that in modern culture at all. So you're at the edge right now. You know, if somehow you found this conversation we're having and you were standing at the edge and part of you is going, I don't know what the heck those guys are talking about. This sounds, I'm, okay, for, I'm out of here, you know, just, God, it's a recorded, you know, I, I, people, my friends are going to see I was there. Oh, man. So there's this part of you that's saying that. And there's another part that's going, oh, okay. Okay. What is a path? He said path. What is that? And so we have a website called path, path.mystrikingly.com. And it, I encourage you to read it and study it and start doing the experiments because they're, they're really the kinds of questions like, how do I choose a path? What how do I find a true path? How, is it a path with a teacher or a path with a circle? And these days, that's an important question because there's a lot of people who claim themselves to be teachers or gurus or, or tantric sex teachers, you know, and they, they're really just gremlins in disguise. They're really just wanting energy and power, money and, and fame. And, and so you have to watch out for that because you're at the edge. It's not regulated. It's not so, and I think you're, I think you're alert enough that you can choose a path. You know, we have this thing called possibilitator training. It is a path. It goes for years. It involves heavy duty life changes. It's really a awareness eye opener. So that is one possible path. There's, and there are others. So thank you for your question. I wish you a lot of luck in your journey, Jonas. Thanks yeah. for the question. Just one little thing, Jonas, I, I encourage you in a, in a few days or a week to watch this video again and try to see if, in yourself if you can detect some which of the eyes we're speaking. And then, you know, you grab yourself a little beat book and you write in the back of it, you know, you make a list of the different eyes that you have and what they like and what they don't like and what they, yes, <laughs> yes, yes, great. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Want to say something? There's a kind of conversation we can have that I feel in the space is being longed for and it's not being asked about yet. And we touched on it a while back, but it has to do with the, 
the kind of intimacy that you might be longing for and don't know how to really ask about or navigate to. And I use the word navigate because it has to do with spaces. So this conversation is taking place in a space that Anne Chloe initially established and I'm co-holding it with her, with her. And a number of you are also co-holding this space. So here we are spread out all over the world, different places. And yet we're in this same space together. And this, this, this is a safe space. It's like a spaceship and we're taking it on this journey. And what I'm, what I'm doing right now is grabbing this space and twisting it a little into a, a slightly different dimension to talk about the kind of spaces that we're, that each of us has the capacity to learn to create and navigate with other people. So you can do it with a partner person, you can do it with project people, you can do it with small numbers of community people if you're in some kind of a community project, if you previously agree on the context of the space. And the context of a space is created by the distinctions that you agree to use. And so if you agree to use a distinction like we've been using here in this space called gremlin, this gremlin being the part of ourselves that we'll do anything to protect our survival strategy, we'll break every rule, do whatever it takes to defend ourselves. And that part of us can be made conscious. You can take it on as an ally. And so if you make that distinction that people need to be initiated into conscious relationship with their gremlin, that's a distinction, a powerful distinction that will change the quality of the space of connection that you have. If you're in a relationship and you do not make that distinction, then gremlin will step in and destroy intimacy for you in subtle and overt ways because if you get closer to a person than your defense strategy, then they will turn around and look at your show that you've been putting on the whole time. This act that you've been putting on, like I'm cool, I'm okay, I'm a good person, I'm attractive, I'm powerful. Whatever show you put on, if they get more intimacy to you than your show, they can turn around and see that your show is fake. It's a show. It's pretend, it's a projection that you put out there. And oh my God, if they get closer to you than that, who are, who are you then? At the same time, there's a part of us that longs for that kind of intimacy with other beings, not just once in our lifetime for a few minutes, not just that, but really as the ongoing way of being with each other. We long for this. There's parts of us who are longing for this. So for, if you try to have a space of a connection with anybody and it's not that distinction is not in the space, Gremlin will step in and go, God, want another drink? Come on, let's watch this movie. Come on. I, oh man, I hate my boss. I hate my boss. God, I feel kind of sick. Oh man, I have a headache. I have a headache now. Or whatever the thing is, Gremlin will whip up some way to destroy possibility of this intimacy that's closer, more near than the show. You know, relationships for, do not die from a lack of love. They die from a lack of intimacy. And so if, if you get good at, if you become more aware of 
if you learn to navigate and negotiate, negotiate, make offers and proposals for intimacies in five bodies. So I'm not just talking about intellectual intimacy where you're having a great conversation. I'm not just talking about physical intimacy where you know you have sex or something. There's so many different kinds of physical intimacies, washing dishes together, going traveling together, washing, you know, taking walks, like shopping, like all, there's so many ways to have amazing physical intimacy that have nothing to do with sexual gratification. So, so what about emotional intimacy? What's that? Holy, that's a whole new domain for most of us to learn about because we do not, we don't know anything about how to navigate or negotiate, make offers with anger, sadness, fear, and joy that is not emotions. Emotion is any feeling you have that lasts longer than three minutes. You have a feeling longer than three minutes. If your anger longer than three minutes or sad longer than three minutes or fear longer than three minutes, it is not a feeling. It is an emotion and it has nothing to do with the present moment. It has nothing to do with the person across from you, the situation around you. It's just re-stimulated. An emotion is a gateway for an emotional healing process. So your circle, like Lars, your circle can become expert in delivering emotional healing processes for each other. We, we have in the last few months, and Chloe and I and Vera and Patrizio, we're all on here, have, have put online nearly like 99 out of 100. We have put now online 99 intimate Zoom videos. We get to see both the space holder and space navigator and the client. We put them online, almost 100 of them, at a website called createpossibility.mystriking.com. They're free, they're online. Watch every single one of them. Instead of watching one of your TV series, you know, we're in lockdown. Just start, start with number one. And for the next hundred days, watch one of these emotional healing process. Some of them will be boring. Some of them will be, you won't connect. But I bet you two thirds of them will, will blow you away. Two thirds of them are transformational, miraculous. And, and just watch them. The website is createpossibility.mystrikingly.com. You just go, I hope, I, please read the warnings part. Please read the warning section. Read the whole website, but there's a hundred videos on there. And if you watch those, you will learn, you will get trained how to participate in and how to deliver and hold space for emotional healing processes that use emotions. So if you have an emotion come up or if anybody in your space, like if you're holding a space and there is this distinction between feelings and emotions, not just the one about gremlin, but also about feelings and emotions, then whenever an emotion comes up, you say, gosh, I've had this for longer than three minutes. It's left over from yesterday. It's left over from last week. It's left over from five years ago. This is an emotion. And then you go, okay, I'm gonna get an emotional healing process. You go in there, it takes somewhere between a half hour and an hour and a half. You come out a different person. You come back to the person where you had this projection or expectation. They're a different person. You go, how did you change? I did the process, I come back and you changed. How is that possible? 
So this is so this is what emotions are for. They are golden keys. But that will not happen if you are in a space where you do not make the distinction between feelings and emotions. People go, no, "This is real. I'm really pissed off at you. I'm you make me afraid. You are victimizing me. You are hurting me. You know, you have abandoned me. You don't even give me attention. You you leave me. You know, you don't even listen to me. Whatever whatever that thing is that's coming up, <clears throat> it will it you you will not be able to, it will take down your space. It will take down intimacy. It will undermine intimacy for you. And there's so, it's such a straightforward way out of it is to use your emotions as gateways for emotional healing processes. You have a whole new life ahead of you. I wanna, so there's a question from Sophia Magdalena and Vera and I'll add my, my own question on, on top of that. So the question is, so there's many people who have enmeshed their adult ego state with another ego state, such as child or gremlin or even parent. So they have less space, less space in their adult ego state to relate and have intimacy. So how do you navigate five body intimacy with somebody who has that level of enmeshment with that enmeshment. And I would add on top of that is how does then the relationship does not become this feedback space and 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 it's and it's actually an empowered relationship and not oh this is your gremlin or this is your child or you're having an emotion i'm you know not going to talk with you yeah luckily enough both of you have just answered your own questions the way the way is because <clears throat> the way to handle having an adult ego state that's contaminated by gremlin or child or parent or demon even is you can start off if you've never heard of this stuff you go to the decontamination website i hope there's something on there or the ego state website both of those have uh, information about this and you figure out what the heck we're talking about and then you start noticing the when it when this is occurring in the spaces that you're in, both personal or professional, or just in, even in the public, sit down in a, a park or sit down in a, a shopping area, a cafe, and just notice what kind of enmeshed adult ego states are there. People cannot leave, cannot leave being a parent. You should do this, you have to do it that way. Or they cannot leave being a gremlin, which is ha ha, jokes, I, you can't get me, ha ha, all this, kind of gremlin stuff or the child part is, oh, you know, it's never, it's never enough. Nobody's taking care of me. You can just see this, this conglomeration happening in front of you. And then you start noticing it in your intimate friends and then you notice it in yourself. And so the way through the way to nap is like, you cannot, it is impossible to negotiate any more intimacy than hello with when the person across from you has this contamination, you will, whatever percentage of adult is not contaminated, call it 10%. For example, I, up until about 2001, I had my adult ego state contaminated 80% with my gremlin ego state. I didn't have much child in there. I didn't have much parent in there, but my gremlin I used it as a survival strategy to get through work, to get through school, to deal with my brothers, to get through parents, all this stuff. 
and it works. It's just very expensive in terms of your, your adulthood initiations, which should have started when you were 18 years old. It's just difficult to un unmesh, takes about a year. Took me over two years because nobody was giving me really clear instructions or feedback about it. But you can take your the gremlin part out, put it in the gremlin ego state, take the child part out, put it in the child ego state, take the parent part out, put it in the parent ego state, the critical judging, you must, you have to, you're not good enough, all these voices in your head, bang. <clears throat> so you can do that work as part of your journey, as part of your path. And then you end up with this thing that Anne Chloe said, okay, how do we make our journey of intimacy together, not just a feedback and coaching session every time we're together? And the way to do that is to hold the space as a space of intimacy and do your process with your team. Do your processing with your team. Go to your team for feedback and coaching. There's a great website called Your Teams that has a, all the different kinds of teams that you could put together for evolution and transformation along your path. So you get together with a team for that. And so you just, you, it, it is the way you're holding and navigating your space will determine the outcome of the intimacy that you can have. And I'm, I'm telling you this as a, as a wizard. I'm telling you this as a, as an engineer of spaces, as an energetic engineer of spaces, the space determines what is possible. And for most of us in most of our lives, the space that's occurring is accidental. And we wish for it and we long for it. And we try to look for it over there and then try to hold it when we get it. We try to hold onto it and keep it. And that kills it right away. It kills it right away, trying to hold onto it. You have to keep breathing, keep your center grounding cord bubble and the space and go for the ride. You don't know how long it will take or last, but you do know that you can go back there, that you can navigate and create the possibility of that space again when you set the energetic space and you set the context, you set which distinctions are going to happen. And if you're, every, if you're going to meet with somebody and hope to have some kind of amazing intimacy. And if you don't have this context conversation first, if it's, that's not part of the arrangement, then you will get standard human intelligence thoughtware, S-H-I-T. You will get shit thoughtware at work in your space, standard human intelligence thoughtware, be, until you make it conscious, until you make it agree. So you say, look, you know, I'd like to start off uh, having a conversation about our gremlins. My gremlin's name is Scar. He has, he has, he, I feed him these five foods once a week on a conscious gremlin feeding schedule. And he is, this guy loves navigating extraordinary archetypal space. Tell me about your gremlin. If you start your conversation like that, you will have some possibility. If you do not start that conversation like that, go, gosh, who did you vote for for president? What's your favorite? What's your favorite brand of, of, of telephone? Oh, I see. Yeah, you got you have your Apple. I don't. I don't have an Apple. You know, if if you start your conversations like this, that's what you're going to get. You're going to get ordinary. So there's ordinary spaces. There are extraordinary spaces, and there are archetypal spaces. And you can you have the capacity to create and navigate through those spaces anytime you want. And 
you had to get a driver's license before you could drive a car. You have to get a flying license before you fly an airplane. You have to get a sailing license before you sail a boat, etc. So you need you need to get a license somehow from how to create and navigate our extraordinary and archetypal spaces. Where do you get the training for that? Where do you get the skill buildup for that? Well, the only place I know of is first you go to the edge of modern culture. You go to the edge like we are now. We're a little bit over the edge right now. And you stay there. And when fear comes up, you breathe, you go get your emotional healing processes. Oh God, the last time I was here, they burned me at the stake as a witch and they tore me apart and they took away my family and children and killed them. And I made a vow never, ever to go to the edge again. And shit, I am here at the edge again. And this fear is coming up in me and do the emotional healing process. And then you get some new possibilities. So each time you try to, you, so the, the way to, the way you get your license is you go to the edge and you stay there with other people. You find people who are on this journey and you go there with them in your team and you see how long you can ride the thing. It's like riding a dragon, riding a lion. It's like this underworld journey that Lars is talking about. It's through the underworld. You will get emotional that comes up, emotions, projections. You will hit fears. You will hit rage. You go, fantastic. What percentage rage is that? Yeah, it's 77%. Yes. Is it a feeling or an emotion? It's a feeling. Okay, it's an emotion. All right, go. Great. This will take you to an emotional healing process. I'll talk to you afterwards. Come back afterwards. Half hour later, they come back and go, I'd like to meet you. So, so this is where you learn it. You learn it by hands-on experience, not from talking about it, not from, that's why we really encourage people to choose an identity that is some kind of an experimenter. I think each one of you has that identity to some degree already, that you guard yourself, Jonas, even you as some kind of an experimenter. You are a researcher somehow. Okay, yes, that means you need to do experiments. You are the one doing the experiments. What if, what if you're with people who are not doing any experiments? Well, then you're gonna have to face into this question, what the hell are you doing with those people? Mm. Why are you hanging out with those people? For, for social, because your mother thinks you should? I, I don't know why. Because they have money? I don't know why. You know, why are you hanging out with those people? Okay, all right, go find other experimenters. You know, I remember back in 1975, I was in college after five years of studying physics and realizing this was, I was not learning what I wanted to learn. So I took a paper, these kind of papers, and I made, I made a, a flyer and it says, this is anybody who's not learning what you, what you wanted to learn here at the university, come talk to me at the university union, 7.30 on Thursday night. And I went in there and I thought five or six people would come and 75 people showed up in this room. I was shitting in my pants. I'd never given a talk before in my life. And so this, this, is, this is the question. Where are the people who want to go on the journey where you are in your journey? They want to go with you. Well, you can find them. You know, the internet is here. You can find them now from all over the world, not just in your own neighborhood or at your own university. So find those people and then do experiments. And that is how you will get licensed to create and hold and navigate extraordinary and archetypal spaces. That is how, and you will make mistakes. What do you do when you make a mistake? 
You write it down in your beep book. That's why it's called a beep book. A mistake is a beep. You go, all right, <clears throat> I did not ask about what they're feeling. I wanted to know what they know about, but I forgot to ask. Okay, from now I'm going to ask, how are you in your mind and how are you in your heart? I'm going to ask you both questions. You go, okay. And then you start doing that as a practice and, and it, some, you get different results. You go, God, why didn't I think of that before? Well, you know, why didn't you think about your voice blaster before? Well, nobody ever told you you had one. It's right back there since you were born. You just pull it out and go, bang, you know, you're too slow. Bang, you'll never get this. Bang. You just use your voice blaster. So there's all these experiments to do that are create extraordinary results. Nobody can do them for you. So this is how you get the license. It's the, it's the rule from, from Pirates of the Caribbean. What a woman can do or what she can't do. That's it. There's two rules. What you can do or what you can't do. That's what determines the outcome. So learn to do stuff that nobody else knows how to do. Learn to do stuff that they don't have classes on or workshops on. I just tell you, we have 439 websites, 439 websites that we have been building as fast as we could for the last five years to give away this stuff to as many people as possible so we could have more friends in our circles to do this journey with us. So they're there. They're just there right now. They're waiting. Tell as many people as you can. Go on there. Start doing the experiments. You will go in liquid states. You will start crying. You will be so mad. You will be scared. And you just start, just go ahead. Do Go through the liquid states. Because every time you learn something new, all five bodies changes. And you come out a different person. Yay. Then you can create different results. Then you can, you can detect from a distance which man or woman, you know, is, is, un, is, is willing to do the next experiment with you. And, and within two minutes, you can know in a conversation, it's straightforward. So, so, so there. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> I think I'm already in it. I started with, with some experiments already, so. The thing is, the identity that we have holding on to, the thing that we're familiar with about ourselves, if you try to hold on to your old identity, it will just make the ride rougher. You need to get used to it. You need to get accustomed to letting go and grieve the loss of an identity that you thought was really good, that really you thought was wonderful, that seemed to be a solution to a problem before or seemed to work. Like you can make a little a little cross, you know, and stick it out in the forest and have a little funeral with some friends and go, this is the one who was trying to be the good boy. This is the one who was trying to do it perfect. This is the one who was trying to make my dad happy. This is the one who didn't want to break the rules. And, to, you know, so you, you get accustomed to letting go of these identities, just like a lizard gets rid of its skin. In every year or two, this, this whole skin of a lizard comes off. His eardrums, really every little part of, of the lizard skin, you should watch this. It, he just lets go of it. He walks out of it and leaves it behind and it decomposes and becomes fertilizer for plants. I mean, this is how it works for us too. Each one of these identities is the skin that we're wearing. 
and you can just get more. It's a horrible feeling. Just imagine it's a hor and just go, okay, I'm, I'm in this process of letting go of another identity and just keep breathing, let the thing fall off. And all the friends that you had that got something from that old identity, they will stay with that identity and you will get a whole new group of friends who are welcoming your new identity. It's so, it's really incredible to, to let your whole life shift around like that. And that is, that's what we mean by this path. There is this path. And it's almost like you're going up this mountain and, and the higher up the mountain you go, the less oxygen there is. So the less stuff you can carry with you. And so, and so you, let, you, you learn to lighten your load. You don't carry around so many expectations on people anymore or on yourself. We have so many expectations on ourselves. You don't carry around so many conclusions about who you are, who you're supposed to be, you know, how the world is supposed to work. You don't carry around so many of those conclusions. They're heavy. So these things like that, they start to fall off. Beliefs, your beliefs start falling off and you get disillusioned about. I remember being disillusioned about America. I mean, it was huge for me. I, I was born in America and I, I, it wasn't until I was in, my, in the 1980s, I don't know, I was 35, 40 years old, I started to get disillusioned about America. And then when I got outside of America, I could look back and see this marshmallow crowd, cloud, this marshmallow thing of an extra layer of protection that I had on my, on my survival strategy. I'm American, so I'm right. You know, I'm superior. I'm, and when that thing fell off, when that was, it was horrible because I lost all my heroes, Benjamin Franklin, Thomas Edison, Alexander Graham Bell, the Wright brothers, like all these people who were my, my heroes, they, they, they fell off. And then I'm in the world trying to grasp people like Claudio Naranjo or, or Irina Tweedy or Lee Lozowick or these, these people who, they were in front, they were the cutting edge, okay? Well, they have all died. All those people have died that were in, in front of me. Guess what? We are the cutting edge right now. This is it, you, it's us. We are the ones on this front edge. There is no one to hide behind anymore. You do not get to follow somebody else's helpful hints or instructions. What you get to do is, build out this new culture and inhabit it yourself and make space for other people who are not such game world builders as you, who don't have as much courage as you. You build it out and they come there and join you. And then you keep building, you just keep building out. And that's how we invent next culture together. We build it out. It was not there before. Nobody's doing it for us. Nobody knows how to do this. We invent it, inhabit it, fix it up when it's falling apart, invent some more stuff and just keep building it out. I, I don't know of a more exciting and rewarding uh, game in the world, and especially if you get to have extraordinary and archetypal intimacy along the way. This is... There's this, so there's this question, we have about 15 minutes left. Christina Dushner had a, a question and I'll, I'll sort of add maybe uh, my own question on that. And it's, so what are the reference or the indicators that so that you can realize as a couple that you are in an extraordinary space. And the question that I would add that would be a little different is, 
do you have can you share really practical experiment that people can try like right now in terms of creating the the extraordinary space because yes there's 400 website and there's what are probably 4,000 experiment or what and and do you have experiment that you can share right now but in the question from Christina, the last indicator yeah for the last 45 minutes or so <clears throat> how many people have noticed a little tingling sensation in your nervous system in your skin keep your hand up while i'm talking if you noticed it some a vibration of this a little excitement that you that you don't really have a name for it's kind of on your skin but also kind of in your nerves how many people can feel this it's kind of a humming it might have a yellow a yellow color to it it's kind of sweet and it's vibrating this stuff okay that is an indicator of extraordinary call it yellow stuff it's this archetypal or, or extraordinary love coming into the space that we're in together you can feel it in your nerves and that is an indicator of extraordinary now if you don't do anything to sustain it or to keep navigating in extraordinary it will fade out but we have continued asking questions so this is a really valuable hint that if you if you you notice it in the space and you go ah okay we have achieved that well you know <clears throat> bananas get overripe and they start being not so great to eat anymore so it, it's like that space will space does the same thing so so plant new bananas and harvest them. Like the thing is questions, real questions, authentic questions that don't are not curiosity questions from the mind, but questions where that question asker is taking a risk. It's like, it's like throwing out a hook on a rope. You throw it out and you don't know where it's going to land. It's, you just throw either here's this question. I don't know the answer. I don't really need an answer. What I need is exploring the question, a discovery journey. So your questions will keep the space alive. Your necessity will keep the space alive. And so that tingling will can go up, goes down, changes colors, has different smell, different tastes, different consequences. It will show up different ways. But I, um, the number of people who you had put your hand up, that is a real sensation. It is, yeah, it's not something that that uh, your father probably told you about or your mother, she didn't say, honey, gosh, there's spaces where you can, you can actually sense this vibration in your nerves, in your skin, and your, your, your eyes light up in a different way. And you, you yeah, watch out for those spaces because they're really great. Probably your mother did not tell you about this. Nobody at school, even at PhD levels, told you about this. And it's built into us as human beings. We are able to sense this stuff and we don't have names for it. So invent names for it. Is this called a meta conversation? It's like have a conversation about the qualities of the space while it's happening and go and figure out how it happened and what you can do to make it, you know, to navigate to the next space. Another, another way to detect that is has to do with necessity. Is there's a, there are ways to create authentic necessity. It's almost like when you get hungry, 
you guys all know, when you get hungry, you know how to get food. When you are hungry, you know how to get food and you can get cheap shit, you know, crap food, or you can get a really fine, you know, vegetable stew or salad or whatever, cheeses from France or something. You can get good chocolate. You can feed yourself. Okay, you know how to do that. Okay, it's no different from that. There are parts of you, your being in particular, that gets hungry for different kinds of food. The kind of food that's happening in this space, we're having a feast here together. This is a feast. And so we're, how did we create the feast? Well, first, you had to be hungry. You had to have some necessity. So you can, there are ways to create necessity in you and other people so that when you come together in your team, your team has real necessity to get fed. And so, you know, there's certain movies that have food, there's certain books that have food, but really the living food comes from going on this discovery journey together, online or offline, and like putting it on the table. There's so much, uh, there's so much baggage that we have that produces poop, we call it poop. So poop is like, I have an assumption and you did not fulfill my assumption and I made it into an expectation. And so you did not fulfill my expectation. And then I have resentment because it's a, and the other person says, well, what was your assumption? Well, I, I assumed that you would call me on Tuesday. Did we talk about calling each other on Tuesday? No, I just assumed we, we, you would call me on Tuesday. Okay, well, let's, let's negotiate this. If we're gonna call on Tuesday, let's, let's actually talk about it and make a plan to call on Tuesday. So we don't function together in the domain of assumptions. We actually communicate with each other. Is that a deal? You shake hands on it. It's an experiment, new experiment. And so you, you, you create necessity for the extraordinary and archetypal to come through. The, I have to tell you, the archetypal forces of nature are, are so longing for human beings to get this. That if you jack in, if you open up the door to your bright principles, to your archetypal lineage, to Gaia, to Echo, the Earth Coincidence Control Office, if you open up doors to this, it'll go. It is so there. And all you need to do is hold the space, open the door, you know, specifically request, like make a space where that's necessary. In people in indigenous cultures, they know about this stuff. There's a lot of things they don't know about, but they do know pretty much about this stuff. And, and, and there are not so many indigenous cultures alive on the, on the world, world right now. And these archetypal forces are, 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 are lonely. They're missed. They're like, please use us. You know, there, are, there are healers on other, this is weird. I'm gonna tell you something weird. There are, there are healers out there on other planets who got their act together enough that they do distance healing on other planets, but they won't do it unless you ask them for it. You have to ask them specifically so for this healing. And then they are there. <clears throat> and so we figured this out and I, there's a website called Three Phase Healing. Three Phase Healing, and it gives you access to the worthing healers. They're called the worthing healers. And you can just connect with them and they deliver incre incredible, I'm, you know, it sounds like bullshit or crap or whatever. It's, I'm telling you, it's a direct experience of 
really extraordinary healing from from a different dimension, you know, from across the from across the galaxy. And they're just waiting there. They are so grateful. Every time I talk to them, they go, gosh, please tell more people about us. Please tell more people so they can ask for our healing power because we're just sitting around, you know, twiddling our thumbs, waiting for you earthlings to come back and talk to us. There used to be more people talking to us, but now I don't know, you went away into some weird culture thing. We'll come back, you know, we have access. You don't need all this, you know, AM American Medical Association. You don't need all that, you know, get access to us and then see what happens. Just see what happens. So, so that's another thing you can do in your team. You can, you can help each other experiment with all these, with creating necessity. I, I sort of want to in, interrupt you because we have about seven minutes left and there was this question from Nona that would actually deserve more than seven minutes, my, my own personal opinion. And I'll probably just add also some, some bits from me. And it's a question about sexuality. And so, and Nona says, for me, and sexuality becomes easier for patriarchic or patriarchal patterns to take over to, and to be in the space. Do you have any hints how to surrender and to fully be conscious, to, to be fully conscious in, in sexuality? And I just, and I want to, this would be more my part, but just lately I've realized that when I've tried to have this conversation about sexuality, the main or one of the big answer that comes from women is, God, I wish this conversation would not even exist. Like, I wish that uh, this topic would not, I wouldn't, I don't want to deal with it. It's like, there's so much pain and like, it's like, let's not talk about this. There's so many other domain to go and let's skip sexuality. So that's been just my experience lately. So I, we have about six minutes left. So any hints about this? We're working on a website called Sexual Abuse. And the reason is because abuse in the patriarchy is the norm. Patriarchy as the way it's designed is abusive in so many ways. Just sending children to a school system is so abusive, it's unimaginable. So it crushes potential. So there's so many ways that we've been abused. Sexual abuse is one of those. And so to, to discover a different kind of sexuality outside the patriarchy includes going through the healing processes of your sexual abuse and your other kinds of abuse, power abuse, physical abuse, psychological abuse when you hurt yourself and your mother says, nothing happened. Or your father says, you don't feel any pain and it hurts like hell. This is psychological and emotional abuse. So healing that is part of the path. And then again, sexuality gets to start over again. And so it's there, I think there's a phase, like in Chloe was talking about, of abstinence, of letting go of any kind of mechanical or I'm supposed to, or I should, or any of that part, that kind of intimacy, sexuality or physical or in any kind of it, just to let, is to give yourself, grant yourself permission to have this space of 
being it without, being in a, in a, like letting it go back to zero. And then when you get your center back, your voice back, your five bodies back, your attention back, your noticing back, then, then start noticing what's up for you. What's, what is, what, what is, what's interesting for you? What is exciting? What is, what is it that you desire from, from not knowing anything? So I'm telling you, porno films scar your mind. You will, it will take a year of absolutely no porno before you can start to have any kind of realistic intimacy with a, another person because it takes that long for the scars to kind of fall into the past a little bit. So, so many people use porno as some kind of stimulant for, I don't know what, but, but I'm just telling you, you will have, you have scars in there also from being sexually abused. So you can go through these processes one after another, layer after layer, coming back to zero. Your point is not to come back to tantric sex master. That is not your point. That is not the goal. The goal is to go back to zero, to get out of all of this stuff about sexuality and find it in you as it emerges in a, in a real way, in a, in, a, in, a, in a simple way. So simple, so simple. We are, we are organic beings. Sexuality is so part of us. It's so part of us. And to find that is... You just have to undo, undo, heal, go back, let go, start over, pretend, you know, start from not knowing. And, and out of that, you get a chance to start over. Tara, you had something? Yes, I wanted to um, ask a question because I'm, I'm busy with this. This is a topic for me right now. And I am... Um, I have this belief in me, I found this belief in me that to, in order to do this, to go through this process that you just described, Clinton, I would have to go outside of everything to a place alone in the woods, because as soon as I step out of the door of, of my apartment, I need, like I, I am confronted with, and this is my belief, so I, I know it's a belief, I'm no, confronted with all because there's a short time, let me just say something. Yes. When, when you practice with putting your attention on your energetic center and use your intention to move it to your physical center and you drop a grounding cord from your physical center to the earth and you make a bubble of space around yourself, then that bubble acts like a lightning rod. It, like when the lightning comes, it goes into the earth. It does not come onto you. So do not walk out of the house without your center grounding cord and bubble. And then you can walk through spaces in your own culture where all this weird stuff is happening out there and let it happen out there. And any stuff that comes at you with advertisements or men or boys or whatever the, whatever's coming, it will hit your bubble and go, you won't even have to do this at all. And you can relax. God, your shoulders relax, your body relaxes, you go, you breathe differently, you walk, so practice, walk down the middle of crowded streets with your center grounding cord and bubble, and people will let you pass. Dogs will even let you pass. They will move outside your bubble, and you can, you don't have to defend, you don't have to look in anybody's eyes, you do not have to be anything for anybody else in any way, because you have your center grounding cord and bubble, 
and start there. It is such a, and it's this energetic stuff. We are energetic beings. Learn to do, learn to do this stuff. I really appreciate everybody's attention and everybody's collaboration in co-creating this space. I enjoyed so much the tingly yellow stuff being with you guys. It doesn't always happen and it definitely was happening here. And I just really appreciate that. Thank you very much for the work you've done on yourself and how much you've been helping other people. Please keep going, stay in touch with us. We've got a lot of, a lot of great stuff we wanna share. So, and, and share your stuff with us. Thank you, Aunt Chloe, for holding this space and inviting this to happen. Thank you, Aunt Chloe. And thank, thank you, Aunt Chloe. Thank you, Clinton. Thank you, Clinton. Thank you, Clinton. Thank you Aunt Chloe. Just thank the last you. One, I will send an email with the, a lot of the links that were mentioned for the website so you can have access to the website. And I want to also re-invite re you in terms of keep the journey going. Maybe it's going to, it can happen in this group, but maybe you have your own team to keep asking the question, the, the like your own necessity questions that might have emerged also from this space. It's great to see you guys. Thank you for being here. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank, Thank you. you. Gracias. Gracias. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. Thank you.